Hey, welcome everybody. Today we have two guests, Josh and Amy, and we will be discussing religion a little bit, as well as politics. Um, Josh is a returning guest. He was the Satanist on episode two. Um, and then Amy is a new guest who has uh, kind of some interesting views on religion. And so welcome both of you guys. Great to be on here. Yeah, yeah, it's super excited to have multiple people and kind of three-way conversation. Um, real quick, I, I do want to just make a couple announcements here. I wanted to take the time and thank everybody out there who have been supporting the podcast. I, I have definitely noticed a few kind of devout listeners who've listened to every episode and just wanted you to know I really appreciate that. Um... Secondly, I did want to apologize because I know that some of the audio in some of these uh, latest episodes have been pretty rough, and I I just got a new computer, and it has like a million fans on it, and so it's been a struggle to get the mic settings just right so you don't hear the fan, but I'm actively working on it, and I think we're getting better as we go, so appreciate everyone sticking around. And then just a quick reminder that everyone is welcome to the Discord, no matter what walk of life you're from. Uh, just want a community of people who are willing to engage in conversation. So, um, alright, I, I think, Amy, if you wouldn't mind, uh, it would be cool to start with just your religious background and upbringing and where you're at now. Sure. So upbringing is clearer than where I'm at now. I, um, to... I grew up Christian. My parents were missionaries in Cameroon, so just south of Nigeria, um, and grew up in a few different denominations. I think for my parents, the focus wasn't really the de denomination, more emphasis on you know, what's your theology? Do you believe in Jesus as God? Um, and basically, you know, I would say that I've followed Christianity or like learned what was expected of me and kind of stuck to that through my first year of university. Um, and then kind of ended up in a position in some ways I had no right to be in, which was you know, trying to advocate for different minority groups on campus. And through that, it led to a lot of questioning for me about how the church was, you know, treating the LGBTQ community, especially, um, as well as other groups. And yeah, that kind of spiraled into leaving the church. And then I would say, you know, it's, I've explored Islam some, um, explored, you know, different Christian apologetics, and then mm. kind of took a break from religion for a while. Um, and I would say in the last year have kind of circled back to being interested in Jesus, but not really as interested as, as before in being in a church or reading the Bible. Um, just kind of, yeah, looking back into spiritual things after taking a break for a couple of years. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And so you currently right now, you wouldn't necessarily, I mean, like maybe just a general Christian is what you might call yourself. I, I hesitate to call myself Christian. Um, you, maybe because of growing up in a pretty conservative, often evangelical missions community, I feel like I no longer fit that mold or that standard. Um, but definitely more Christian than, than atheist or than Muslim or, you know, than other labels you could give. Yeah. And when you said that you've explored Islam a little bit, um, how, how long would you say you did that for? And, and did you like actually go to their like church meetings and do the prayers and all that? Or what did that look like? 
Um, so I would say it was for a couple years and in large part because I was dating someone from Oman who was Muslim. Um, right. So I had already been questioning Christianity and then was, you know, in a relationship with someone who held Islam as a deep belief. So I started, I did a lot of like looking into Muslim apologetics, spent a lot of time on YouTube listening to probably pretty hardcore Muslim theologians, um, went to mosques, um, participated in fasting during Ramadan for two years. Um, but I wasn't, you know, I never like made a declaration of faith or did the prayers. Sometimes I would, you know, kind of say my own prayers, but not, not really following the Islamic example of how you're supposed to pray. Huh. Well, it's pretty interesting. I, I actually have been really wanting to find a Muslim to talk to, and it's just a lot harder in the area I'm in. There's such a minority of people here. Um, but it's, I'm very curious about all the practices and stuff. I'm, I'm planning on reading the Quran after my current book. Have you, how much have you read of like the Bible and, and the Quran and whatnot? I was for both, I've probably read maybe half. Okay. I was just curious. I kind of got bogged down in both of them or frustrated with both of them. <laughs> they're, them they're a struggle, to be honest, to get through. Like, um, And Josh, I did want to check in with you. I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but are you still a Satanist? You still going by that? I am, yeah. Um, should I go ahead and give like a a quick general elevator pitch for first time yeah. listeners to this? Yeah, sure. Cool. Yeah. So, um, if you want to go back and hear my full story, episode two, like Keith said earlier, is a good place to go back to. Um, but so I was raised in an evangelical Christian household as well, um, and so that was a deeply held belief for me growing up. Um, I dabbled around with atheism a little bit when I was in high school. Uh, and then in college, I had kind of a comeback to Jesus moment. I was heavily involved with the crew, which used to be Campus Crusade for Christ, um, and had a lot of really good experiences with people there. Um, but then somewhere along, along the line in college, I started to realize, oh, I'm gay. Um, and that completely changed my perspective on how I view religion, especially how I view Christianity in the United States today. Um, and that brought me back down the path of becoming non-religious, eventually embracing the term of atheist. And within the last year or two, uh, I've embraced the term of Satanist as well. Um, so it's not what you would typically expect a Satanist to look like. I don't actually believe in a literal Satan, just like I don't believe in a literal God. Uh, but to me, Satan represents rebellion against the forces that be, especially against the Christian hegemony that exists in the United States today. Um, and so I want to do what I can to stand up for minority groups, for those who have traditionally been persecuted or discriminated against in the United States. And I think the Satanic Temple does a really good job of standing up for women's rights, for LGBTQ rights, and for the rights of religious minorities, uh, especially Jews, Muslims, Mormons, uh, a lot of different groups like that that are small minorities in the U.S. Um, so what's most important to me, the cornerstone of my current view on religion is treat other people with kindness and respect and do whatever you want within the bounds of reason as long as it doesn't hurt other people um that's kind of what i believe yeah and um you know i appreciate the satanic temple for what they do because it's like they're kind of fighting religion with religion in a way like because i feel like it's recognized that um religion is so protected here in our constitution and whatnot that um you can use it in a way to kind of get certain rights and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, so. exactly. So cool. Well, yeah. um, Oh, sorry. Did you have anything else to add? Oh no, I, I was just going to say it's a very interesting take on the first amendment. Um, and so that can go into some politics that we could discuss later. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, um, so I, I did want to just ask Amy, um, you said your parents were missionaries and my little ignorant Mormon brain or ex Mormon brain, like 
my first instinct was I didn't realize like that many other Christians did missions and whatnot. Um, like, so did, did they go out of the country, like all over the place or how did, how did that work? One, there are lots of denominations that send missionaries. Um, I would say even Islam, I don't know if they call it missionaries, but effectively they also are sending missionaries to different places. Um, but they mostly ended up doing missions in Cameroon and um, Congo, like the smaller of the two Congos. And then before that, before my parents ever got married, my dad was um, a missionary in Japan. Okay. So they've been in mission missions for quite a long time. Um, and now I would say that they're more in like NGO work that has its roots in missions, but that's not the primary focus. I guess maybe um, the better question to ask is like, how how common is it within those religions that they were a part of? Like, because, you know, for Mormons, it's pretty much anyone who turns 18, 19 is almost expected to go on a mission. Is it is it kind of like that? Are they like trying to get young kids out the door or is it just more like people volunteer as they wish? I would say people volunteer as they wish. Um, okay. It's not that common. I would say talking to other friends of mine who grew up missionaries, you often felt kind of like a superstar. You know, you'd come back to your home church or supporter churches and people would be like, wow, that's amazing that you're missionaries and that God has called you to go to the unreached. Or, you know, so it was not at all a coming of age ceremony or something that was expected of everyone in the church okay um and then so i typically kind of like to gauge the guest the guests uh thoughts on our current scientific theories i i imagine i know where josh stands because seems like part of satanism entails following the science to some degree i think i remember that being a tenant um <clears throat> so what what would you, how did, would you say you feel about like our current consensus on scientific theories like the Big Bang and evolution and whatnot? Like, generally, I'm willing to accept them. I also am willing to see them change because I think that, especially when you're looking at things having to do with the beginnings of the universe, you can't know for sure, and people are just doing their best, you know, with the information we have and the science that we have now to figure it out. Um, but generally, I would say that, you know, whether it would be guided evolution or what have you, I'm all for accepting the common, commonly held scientific views. Okay. Yeah. And I agree with you 100% that, I mean, part of science is being able to revise. So definitely like it's open to change. It most likely will change the theories once we discover more. So, um, ha have you ever been like actually atheist or more just irreligious agnostic type? Much more agnostic. I have a hard time being black and white about anything. Yeah. So fair. being atheist, I think is also, Pretty, it feels a lot more black and white to me and hard for me to land on, similar yeah. to how it's hard for me to land on being Christian. I just see too much gray in the world, I guess. So much more of an agnostic than anything else. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the term atheist has come with kind of a lot of baggage and really same with same with God, in my opinion. So yeah that's kind of cool that you like to sway and toe the line a little bit um but you said ultimately right now you're kind of just you kind of accept like jesus as a savior but other than that any specific religion um you're not keen to being a part of yeah i think that right now where i'm at is i feel like i've been 
interested in like nature and in God as creator and connecting with God or spirit through nature. Um, and from like stories that I've heard from people I know, I would say that Jesus seems to show up in people's lives as the creator. Um, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I feel like there's a lot that's missing to be fully orthodox Christian. Yeah. Well, well, you mentioned that you kind of got into some apologetics at one point. So I'm curious what you think are, you know, maybe a couple few of the better arguments for God, what you think those are. My looking into apologetics made me realize that apologetics is not my forte. <laughs> okay. Um, and a lot, I don't know, I think for me, like, for example, with, say, the beginnings of this earth, I think that for some people it's harder to believe in a God, right, in the eternal existence of a God, and for some people it's harder to believe in an eternal universe or eternal laws of physics or whatever it is um and i think what i landed on in that regard is that to me there being an intentional creator feels like the more beautiful story mm. and if i'm gonna have to make a leap of faith i'd rather go with what gets me to see more beauty in the world so i don't think that's like a strong apologetic argument I just think that it was like a shift in myself of either way, this is crazy stuff to have to wrestle with or believe, and I'm going to go this route for now. Yeah, so that's cool. That's kind of just like almost just your own personal reasoning behind it rather than these formal arguments. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting because it does seem like regardless of what any of us believe, like, even though some people claim to have 100% knowledge about something, I don't think anyone does. And so that's an interesting decision you made there of like, um, I think this makes it more beautiful. So if I'm going to have faith in something, I'm going to jump that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think anytime someone's saying they know something 100%, it's it's a reason to at least pause and be a little bit wary yeah so ultimately though you kind of maybe you would say your spirituality and whatnot are almost like a practical sense like they just make you feel better in your life and help you along the way i think it's a very new part of my journey that I'm on because as I say like I pretty much stopped engaging with these questions for a couple of years um and then it in some ways was just I don't know happenstance of reading a particular book that I became reinterested in faith and spirituality and feeling like yeah there's something here for me and it's worth looking back into yeah well, um, I, I think it would be fun to see how you might respond to like one of my personal reasonings for, I, I don't know if Josh mentioned to you that like, I'm an atheist. I, I'm sure the channel kind of implied that, but, um, before I do that, Josh, did you want to add anything to what we've been talking about? Um, yeah, I, I think like the, the biggest, most important thing that I'm getting out of this is that nobody knows anything 100% for sure. I think Amy makes a really good point right there. And I'm increasingly finding that out because I think one area where Amy and I are a bit different is I tend to think very much black and white, and it's hard for me to think in terms of gray areas sometimes. And that's why I think I tend to go with such uh, extreme monikers to myself. Uh, I'm a gay communist Satanist, and that that's going to raise a bunch of eyebrows for a lot of people here <laughs> yeah. in the U.S. Um, but I think that's because my brain tends to think so much black and white, and I'm really actively trying to retrain my brain to recognize there's so much gray area to everything. Everything is a spectrum, and there's a lot more nuance than what it looks like on the surface. 
And I was raised mm. thinking everything is black and white. You either go to heaven or hell, you believe in Jesus or you don't. And so it's taking a lot for my brain to overcome all of that. So I really have appreciated some, Amy and I are good friends and we met in college and we've had a lot of really good deep conversations about this before. Mm. And it's it's really good for me to hear these things from, from both of you guys, um, because I really need to retrain my brain on that front. And the one other thing that I wanted to say too is, I want to take some time eventually to talk about the person of Jesus as well, because I still have quite a bit of respect for him and the things that he said in the New Testament. And I know Amy mm -hmm. mentioned very early on that in the, in the last year, um, Jesus has become more of an important figure in a lot of ways. And I want to hear kind of how that's developed in Amy's life and everything. Yeah. Um, I'll just, I'll just quickly add, um, you know, one of the, I, I used to kind of be black and white thinking too. I, I don't know. I feel like I've gone back and forth a little, but I think one of the things that it does a disservice to us is kind of how we treat and talk to other people. And so like one of my, my goals doing all of this is to be like, you know, be able to push back and, and not be offensive, like as best as I can. Mm -hmm. And I think that recognizing that, you know, things aren't so black and white helps with that. And especially, so there was someone who told me recently, like they're worried about, um, atheism kind of taking over because they think that humans naturally evolved to like have this God shaped hole and that we're going to inevitably fill it with something. And, you know, we can maybe brush on this again, uh, when we get into politics, but I do kind of see a sense of that in, in some of our politics, like on the left and the right, you know, and especially the irreligious people, it seems like the politics fill that God shaped hole and it can be consuming and black and white. Mm. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, I certainly noticed it in, in my life, I think. Um, politics has at various points throughout my life as, as a political science and international studies major in college and now being very interested in it personally today, uh, politics can definitely consume a lot of my time, a lot of my thoughts, and it can really guide and direct my emotions depending on what the news of the day is. And that can pretty easily become dangerous. Um, so it's important to realize that there is definitely a world outside of politics and I have to acknowledge for me too, as a, as a cisgendered white male, that I'm probably going to be okay through most things that happen politically in the United States. And I think sometimes I give myself a little bit too much grief for it. And I think a lot of us on, on the left tend to, um, that politics does in a sense become almost a, a savior for us in some ways. Well, so yeah, that will be an interesting thing to talk about more. Yeah. And you know what, maybe we'll put a tack in that for a second and go back to yeah. what you were you were talking about uh, the figure of Jesus and how he's kind of become more important to you. Um, and I would just say, like, I, I have a picture of Jesus in my car. I have for a few years. And that's just because the same thing, like, how I was raised, like, who Jesus was taught to me was, like, the most loving person to everybody, no matter... And in fact, he was all, he was more loving to the downtrodden, the you know the people who were sinful and struggling and whatnot. So, so that's why I like to keep the picture because that's that's the image that I feel I was raised on. Um, Amy, what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, I think that Jesus is one of the maybe the only person in the Bible that I feel like I can really appreciate or see love in, you know, where there's a lot of misogyny, there's a lot of, you know, oppression, there's a lot of, you know, killing, just terrible things that are in the Bible. I feel like Jesus to me is still... I would be okay if he is truly God. I feel like he seems to have done a pretty good job at being human. So I'd be fine if he was like an accurate representation. Kind of like the ultimate humanist. 
Um, you know, I there are definitely some Christians that I've heard like online and arguments and whatnot who who don't have this image of Jesus that we have. So I'm wondering like why cer- why s- the religions get things so differently. Like I've heard them Christians say that yeah, Jesus says to love your neighbor, but that doesn't mean to like coddle them and like and they'll be talking about LGBT people and saying like we shouldn't just engage in like what they think they are or whatever because that's not true love. Um, and so it's kind of correlated to intolerance, I guess, is the best way to put it. And so I'm wondering how people get these different views of what Jesus actually was. Hmm. And yeah, I, I don't... Mean, right, I don't have conclusive answers. Sometimes I think that just with religion, politics, things in general... People interpret how they want to act, right? That there's less of a desire to be actually changed by a faith or by Jesus or whoever, and more of a looking to justify what you already wanted to do through your religion. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I used to be like super anti-religious and... I kind of sort of am still just because I see it, at least the actual institutes as kind of like a business endeavor. Seems like a lot mm-hmm. of the bigger religions are very wealthy. Um, but I've softened up a little bit because I agree with you completely. It does seem like, you know, because there's so many Christians who just love the LGBT community and then there's the Christians who hate them. And so it does kind of seem like really it's just people's humanity showing on different levels. And maybe sometimes they're just using religion as the excuse. Yeah. A quote I really liked um, is from James Baldwin. And he says, if the concept of God has any validity or any use, it can only be to make us larger, freer, and more loving. If God cannot do this, then it's time we got rid of him. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I like that. Mm. Any yeah. th- any thoughts, Josh? I like that a lot, too. That's, that's my first time hearing that quote. Um, yeah, I think, like, I don't know. I feel very conflicted on a lot of this because I have seen in my personal life and more broadly in the world the harm that people have done in the name of Jesus, but it seems to be mm-hmm. so contradictory to what I have read about Jesus on a personal basis. I've, I've read mm-hmm. the whole new Testament and I've, and I've read the prophecies about Jesus in books like as early as Genesis and in books like Isaiah. Um, and there seems to be so much good to him. And it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's tough for me. Um, I like what you said earlier, Keaton, that a lot of these larger religions just seem to be, grabbing for power and money i think about the mormon church right now it seems to be like a almost in in my mind a hedge fund that doesn't pay taxes yeah and i also look at um these massive ornate catholic churches in europe and south america and they look beautiful and i love visiting them but then i think about how much it takes to how much money it takes to build those places and to keep them up and how much homelessness is right outside of those doorsteps would jesus be okay with that um, because Jesus really was a voice for for the downtrodden and the the widow and the orphan, the people in society who are most often forgotten. And I feel like if Jesus were around today in 21st century America, he'd be calling the Southern Baptist Convention a brood of vipers, and then he'd <laughs> turn around at the same time and embrace the LGBTQ community. I don't know if he'd say that our quote-unquote lifestyle is sinful. That I'm not sure about. But I know that he would love us. And... That's what's so interesting to me about Jesus. Um, and that's why I think as much as I have so much disdain for the, for the religion that I grew up in and so much anger around it still, um, I can still come back to Jesus like like Amy said, is the, the one person in the Bible who I can really, in so many ways, love and appreciate and respect. Um, the one thing that I will say though, where I do kind of struggle with Jesus, I just pulled this verse up a minute ago, 
is uh, in Matthew 10. This is the New International Version. Uh, Matthew 10, 34. This is Jesus' direct quote. He says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I do not come to bring peace but a sword. For mm-hmm. I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies mm-hmm. will be the members of his own household. And then he proceeds to say, basically, anyone who loves a family member more than myself is not worthy of me. Uh, and that's, that's always been the one part about Jesus that I've really struggled a lot with, because I, I care so much about my family. And it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to envision that they would love Jesus more than me, because Jesus, in my opinion, isn't here today. And I am. I'm, I'm your son. I'm right here in front of you. And it's, it's difficult for me to, uh, to justify that in my mind and to justify that Jesus is not necessarily always a peacemaker. Um, yeah, yeah, especially but, when you yeah. s- start like getting into revelations and whatnot. And then even more in the Book of Mormon, it kind of talks about the destruction that Jesus plans on bringing at the end of days. And that's that's where Jesus loses me completely, because I'm like, damn, you're just going to come down here and like rain destruction on anyone who hasn't accepted you into their heart. Mm-hmm. And, you yeah. know, maybe who knows, maybe we've all interpreted revelations in poor ways and it's it could be allegory in some ways, too. I don't know. Yeah. Revelation's a really tough book to figure out. Um, I think what I was taught about what I was taught about it growing up was a very literalist interpretation of it. Um, that we're going to have a literal rapture where all of the Bible believing Christians are going to get caught up in the clouds of Jesus and they'll all disappear off the face of the earth and we'll have a literal seven year tribulation full of fire and brimstone and earthquakes and killer hornets and all of these crazy things. And um but there is I've been learning as I've read more into Revelation and read more interpretations of it, there are much broader ways to see it. Um, Apocalyptic uh, writing is, uh, I don't know, it's really hard to interpret and to say, is this something that's literally going to happen? Is this just like a fever dream that Paul had on the island of Patmos? Like, it's, it's really difficult to figure it out. And I still, to this day, don't know what I think about books like Revelation or Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm curious, Amy, how you might respond. Like one of my, one of my, I guess, best personal reasonings of why I don't believe in a God is um, it's called formally divine hiddenness. And it just seems like for someone who like me, who genuinely has sought after so much spirituality, God, and, you know, all, you know, new age spirituality, all, all sorts of things. And I never seem to get any sort of response. Um, and I know I'm not the only one. And when it comes to Jesus, especially, it really, you know, can affect me because in the Bible, it literally says, ask and you shall receive. Um, and I guess, there's just so many different messages all across our planet, you know, different religions and everything. And it just seems like God could clear this all up and, and doesn't. Mostly what I have to say is I feel you hardcore on that. Cause mm-hmm. I think that's been the same, a similar question for me of like, I've been looking for you in so many places and other people who I feel like don't care seem to be getting clearer responses or say they are. Yeah. Um, and what do you do with that? Um, and I mean, honestly, I don't know. I can say that I don't feel like I've had any sort of revelation, but I do think that over time I've had more peace about it and been more okay with accepting like okay well it right if you are like the god of the universe and you haven't revealed yourself in obvious ways to me then like maybe this is the path that i need to be on and you know i 
I think also trusting that that if God is loving and merciful, that he will see that and accept it. And if, if not, then, you know, I think for me, it probably wouldn't be a creator that I would really want to be worshiping. Like yeah. if, if God isn't actually loving and merciful and, you know, with us on our very circuitous journeys, then... Yeah, not someone that I would really want to be in relationship with. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, because that's actually kind of how I've ended up coping with, you know, my atheism and stuff. Because every once in a while, deep-rooted shit just comes up, and I am start tripping about if I'm on the wrong path and all this stuff. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it still haunts me, and I think that's what childhood indoctrination will do, but... But I, yeah. I've kind of come to a similar place where it's like, okay, either he doesn't care about me at all, or he thinks I'm doing great and he doesn't care to intervene. Like, maybe I'm just on the path that he designed for me, if if he's real. But And then also, like what you said at the end, you know, if if he truly doesn't care about me, then why do I care about trying to find him either? Yeah. I don't, uh, yeah. I don't know. I think too. Josh, did you have something to say? Oh, no, sorry. I, I was just going to um, flesh that out a little bit more with a, a C.S. Lewis book, but I'll, I'll go ahead and mention that in a minute. What were you going to say? C.S. Lewis, so good. Um, <laughs> I love C.S. Lewis. Yeah, I think that also there's been a shift for me in trying to find God in my head or like through books and through knowledge and information toward being more interested in being open to experiencing God. Mm. Um, And there's a quote I really like from um, Richard Rohr. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a Franciscan father. Um, And he, he says, I think God is only known experientially, and you don't move people toward inner experience. You certainly don't move people toward deep inner experience by stating the question that way, does God exist? Because it lends itself to a dualistic answer, and experience is much more subtle than that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Yeah. Richard War is great. I really like his stuff a lot. He's great. I was telling a friend to read him and she was like, yeah, I think I didn't read him because people warned me that he was like on the wrong path. And now at the juncture that we're at, we're like, Richard Rohr, <laughs> give us your wisdom. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and I think another thing that I wanted to add on top of all of this too is um, I I forget what book by C.S. Lewis this is where he talks about it. And you might be able to have the answer on that one. Um, but he has this story where these non non Christians, non believers, end up in heaven, and they hate it there. Like the grass hurts their feet, the sun is too bright. Uh, it's just like it's not where they belong. It's not naturally what's supposed to be best for them. And I like to think if God and Jesus specifically is all powerful and all loving, uh, like Christians believe, that He sends people to wherever is best for them. And I know I mentioned back in episode two, the rather bold statement that if it came down to it between God and Satan, I would choose Satan. And I think that um, if God is real, he knows this. And he knows where I would be most comfortable if there is an afterlife. And so similar to what Keaton was saying, like I still to this day will have occasional nightmares about a literal hell, like a lake of fire and getting prodded with pitchforks and all of that stuff. And um, I still have nightmares about that every once in a while from my upbringing. Um, and so what, what gives me peace after experiences like that is acknowledging that if Jesus truly is loving, um, if, he, if he does care for us, that we'll end up in the right place. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, and just to add a little on that, I've, I've been hearing more that like the whole Dante's Inferno and like a literal hell really isn't that 
that super textual or super orthodox with Christianity in, in the first place. Um, and from my own readings of, of the scriptures, I kind of think I agree. It seems like more what he's saying is like, if you want to live in eternity with me, then you will follow me. You won't have that, that's that death. Like, so it kind of just sounds like basically you'll just cease to exist if you don't follow him, you know, which, you know, that's kind of what I would assume would happen anyway as an atheist. So it's kind of, and I think that's more, more the humane thing. If someone doesn't want to live in a heaven, they don't want to like go burn in hell. Well, then they just don't need to exist anymore. Cause I mean, it, I know it freaks a lot of people out, but to me, it sounds pretty comfortable. Like <laughs> no experience whatsoever. Sounds like yeah. the most peaceful thing. So, mm -hmm. and yeah. I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I also really, um, I have some respect for the Mormon idea of the afterlife, actually, more so mm -hmm. than mainstream Christianity. Um, because there, to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is, there isn't necessarily a hell theology in the Mormon church. There's the concept of the outer darkness reserved for those who blaspheme the Holy spirit or for the very, very worst of humanity. Um, but that's not even a literal lake of fire. It's just yeah. a kind of a non-existence almost. Yeah. But then there's three different levels of heaven based off of how you lived your life. And each one is better than what we have here on earth. Um, I have quite a bit more respect for that. And a lot of it's based off the works that you have here on earth. And I kind of, I like a works-based theology a little bit more than a simple salvation-based theology because it, it makes more sense in my small human brain. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you nailed it. That's, that's right. So, and I agree. I've also kind of always thought that even when, as an atheist, like, you know, this seems a bit more compassionate to offer this in the afterlife than a straight up hell. Um, yeah. so sorry, it, these these talks are so hard to like pin down to certain times and whatnot and i know you guys are short on time so i would like to try and get a little more into politics um i i wanted to ask amy kind of how your experience was in christianity and islam being a woman and your kind of thoughts on how a lot of these religions do treat women as the uh inferior i guess uh yeah yeah i mean that's definitely something that i've wrestled with um and i think circling back to what we said earlier it feels to me like the people who want to respect women find ways to interpret their text to do so and people who are interested in maintaining the status quo do not um, you know, yeah. I've, I've had friends who are Muslim and feel very empowered, you know, as a woman within Islam, um, and people who feel the exact opposite. So I don't know. I don't think it gave me any conclusions except that unfortunately a lot of, a lot of powerful men have decided to oppress women throughout history. Yeah. Um, I did appreciate, I remember reading a, a book, a Jewish book, um, and they basically were talking about the idea within Judaism that whatever is created last within the creation story is kind of the pinnacle of creation, which mm -hmm. then puts woman at the pinnacle, which I had never heard before. And I remember when I read that, I was like, yes, finally, <laughs> a, a story where... <laughs> Where women get to be validated. But. Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think the biggest thing I've found today with our talk is just basically all of this just depends on someone's humanity and not necessarily their religion on how they're going to treat people. Um, one thing I would just slightly push back on is I, I do think it's kind of written in you know, I, and I guess everyone can interpret scriptures differently, but the way I've read the scriptures, and, and I haven't read the Quran yet, so I don't know what it says there, but there's a lot of verses in the Bible that seem pretty 
straightforward about you know women don't speak in church or whatever like stay quiet at home and learn there and listen to your husband stuff like that yeah and i think that for me what i come back to is at this juncture is jesus himself i remember having a friend tell me like if you're going to compare say the quran and the bible what's actually closer would be the Quran versus Jesus, because both are seen as the mm. word of God, right? Mm. And I feel like in that case, the way that Jesus treated women, I'm fine with. Okay. Right? I feel like he was listening to women. He was, you know, giving them opportunities to be in spaces they wouldn't normally be in. He was giving them respect. But I agree that if you look at other parts of it whether it be old testament or paul yeah there's a lot of questions about but yeah. that, that's definitely fair though because i don't think jesus ever said anything like that it was just his his followers afterwards so um yeah i think that's fair uh as we move to politics a little more amy where exactly do you would you align yourself politically um, I mean, usually I try and hear what people are actually saying before I decide to what extent I agree with them. I would say usually I end up in the Green Party or, you know, like a more left-leaning, um, usually more focused on, like, environmental issues. But, you know, there have been a couple times where I've heard, like, Republican Republicans running for office in Colorado and thought like you seem to be speaking more honestly and seem to be more trustworthy than the person you're running against or more willing to for example compromise or have actual discussions with other state representatives when it comes to water and how we're going to share it um so I'm not I don't know I'm not someone who's just gonna like check one party straight yeah. down the ballot well, we know you're pretty gray, not black and white, so yeah, that, that's fitting. Weakness. <laughs> um, yeah, Josh, so I I had sent you a video the other day, actually, that guy was talking about how Jesus was literally left of Marx, um, you yes. know, <laughs> and I can't remember exactly his reasoning. I, I don't know if you remembered that. Yeah, I do. So um, I might have to pull this up here in a few minutes, but there's a verse where Jesus essentially says, take everything you have and give it to the poor. And I think Karl Marx would have turned around and said, I don't know about that, Jesus. I don't know about everything. Yeah. Um, so that uh, that was a really good point. I haven't thought about it in that context before. I think Jesus was such a radical in so many ways, and that's why I'm still very drawn to him and why I loved that conversation that we had about him. Yeah, so so I guess uh, explain briefly kind of where you're at politically right now. Yeah, um, so I was definitely raised in a very conservative household. Um, I remember um, not necessarily being indoctrinated on politics, but I've always had quite a bit of interest in it. And so I would have conversations about it pretty early on in my childhood, actually. As early as the 2008 election, I started getting involved with it. And remembered supporting John McCain, then supporting Mitt Romney in 2012. And um, things started to change for me right around 2012 or 2013. Uh, I believe that was around the same time when Barack Obama came out in favor of same-sex marriage. And this was long before I realized I was gay. Uh, that journey would not happen for several more years. But when Barack Obama made his statement in favor of it and his argument behind it, I'm like, oh, okay, this kind of makes sense. Why would I want to prevent somebody else from marrying who they love? Um, it just, it naturally made sense in my brain and that started a whole deconstruction process for me politically. So while I was going through my own religious deconstruction and reconstruction, I was also going through a political one and I, um, slowly started to shift on a whole bunch of different fronts from the conservative upbringing that I had had. And, uh, like Amy mentioned, environmental justice and all that stuff is very important to me. And, uh, especially political justice, justice for minority groups and for those who are traditionally discriminated against. Uh, that's very, very important for me. And so I've been finding more and more as I've gotten older that the the party that seems to more accurately represent a broader range of people 
is the Democratic Party, and so I am a registered Democrat. Um, at the same time, though, I feel oftentimes very disaffected by the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. um, I find myself consistently and routinely disappointed with them on so many fronts. These debt ceiling negotiations are just one example, and I understand that we have to make sure to raise the debt limit so that we don't get into a recession. But Joe Biden has made a lot of concessions that I don't think we should be making. And so I, I find myself repeatedly disappointed by Democrats, and I found, find myself getting increasingly further and further to, to the left. And as I read things like the Communist Manifesto, I'm becoming more comfortable with the phrase of communist for myself. Yeah. Uh, but I think in reality, a social democracy would, be, would make more sense in the short term. Yeah, and that's... Um, that's kind of, I think, where I'm at when it comes to economics, at least. I don't think I go so far to say I'm, like, full-blown communist for economics, um, but definitely, like, socialized medicine and education and all, all the things that people need to thrive and live, like, just should be covered. Like, we should just all get to do that. Um, and... I, I will say, though, I think I might call myself something of a cultural Marxist in the sense of, like, he, he talks about standpoint theory and kind of what you were said, speaking up for minority groups and whatnot. So when it comes to culture, I, I do think I'm, I'm willing to say that I, I'm pretty Marxist there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I... No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I definitely think that I would, I would call myself that much as well. Um, my ultimate goal in politics would be to get to a stateless society where the workers completely do control the means of production. But realistically, that's not going to happen anywhere in the Western world during my lifetime. So I'm going to push for social democracy or democratic socialism wherever I can through things like socialized medicine. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like we just have to pick our battle because... Yeah, there's. I don't think it's realistic to say we're just gonna make a fully communist like unions take over or whatever in yeah. any time soon here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, so I think especially here in the U.S., I think it's uh, more likely to happen in a place like in places like Scandinavia. But I think here in the United States, we're a very long ways from that happening. Um, yeah. We're even fighting for basic unionization rights at a bunch of different companies across the country right now. Um, and I'm actively involved in a union campaign with one particular company myself. Um, so I don't want to mention that company here on the podcast, but it is yeah. a very important piece of my life right now. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Amy, anything to add there? I mean, so I lived in um, China for a couple of years. Um, so I think that that to a lot of people, I came back probably more communist or pro-communism than than they would anticipate. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like in some ways, the U.S. and China show different ways to like impale yourself on a different political system. Yeah, but but that being said, like you know, socialized medicine. A lot of the, you know, public transportation, education, there were tons of things that I loved about China and would happily support in the U.S. Yeah. But similarly, I think the whether it's because for so long communism has been kind of a boogeyman in the U.S. or for whatever reasons, I don't I don't see it easily happening here. Yeah, definitely not. And. Yeah, I, I think you could say that the U.S. and China have kind of gone, like, they're both somewhat authoritarian, but on the one hand, China's leaned more into the left and communism, and then I think U.S. has embraced fascism a little bit more. Um, but there's something to be said, like, authoritarianism definitely can take over in any scenario, whether it's communism, Marxism, like, there's always the threat of tyranny, no matter what political system you're using. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's... People will find a way to rest power however they can. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of what scares me about you know, so many people who have gone full-blown to this one economic ideology or the other, and especially, 
on the left, I th I think because more of us are irreligious and kind of what I was saying earlier, it seems like humans naturally find something to fill that space with. Um, so it seems like it's particularly vulnerable to just like being a slave to an ideology and then ultimately a, a dictator. Yeah, I, I think it's it's hard to piece together whether the right or the left is more prone to authoritarianism. I think throughout the 20th century, it did seem to be the left when you think about communist China or the USSR. And um, those certainly had, we could talk for a long time about the issues that existed within the USSR. Um, but I think today in the modern age, we're seeing a lot more uh, of a rise of authoritarianism on the far right, and especially the religious right. Mm -hmm. I think about right now the elections that are happening in Turkey as we speak. Uh, Tayyip Erdogan is, I, in my personal opinion, from the little that I do know about Turkish politics, is very dangerous to a free and open society that the Turk had initially envisioned for Turkey. And it, they seem to be regressing in so many senses because they're going down the road of Islamic theocracy under Erdogan right now. Um, and so I very much want to speak out against fascism wherever possible, because I think that's currently the greatest threat facing the United States is yeah. if there's an authoritarian threat, it's currently coming from the right in the United States. There is no far left because the Overton window in the U.S. has been shifted so far to the right since the Reagan Thatcher era. Yeah, and I, I agree. I, I definitely think that's the biggest threat, too. I wasn't by any means trying to say that it wasn't because I. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. And I'm glad you brought yeah. up uh, Turkey because I, it does seem like, you know, we get in our little tunnels here and just focus on the U.S., but it does seem like there's quite a few countries now globally who are implementing theocracies. And, you know, we can look at what's been happening in, like, Iran and places like that. Um, I think or maybe it was Afghanistan. They, in, like, the 70s, used to be fairly liberal and like women were going to the universities and all this stuff and now it's just uh a theocracy again so that definitely mm. seems like a more global threat and it's kind of funny because you find people here in the u.s on the right or conservative trump supporters who kind of buy into like certain conspiracies and whatnot and they talk about globalism and New World Order stuff. And if anything, it seems like they're buying into like what a lot of these other countries are trying to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, and we're seeing a rise of that in Europe right now as well. That's happening in Hungary and Poland and Italy seems to be in the very early stages of it since their last election. Um, so yeah you're you're definitely right it's um authoritarian authoritarianism is appealing until it's not <laughs> and yeah um i think that we we saw that with the the worst case scenario example in uh 1930s nazi germany um but what was interesting to me about nazi germany is that hitler never won an outright majority of the votes to my knowledge if i read the history of this correctly it was only about a third of the country that really supported him uh, it was just there were multiple candidates who were running, and he happened to have the plurality of votes. Um, mm. So even a minority within a country uh, can take over and cause quite a bit of harm and destruction. Yeah. And I think that we're we're seeing some early signs of that here in the U.S. And I hate to make comparisons to something as extreme as Nazi Germany, but it's it's uncanny sometimes. I used to be hesitant of doing that, but lately I I don't care anymore because yeah it's it's getting a bit crazy and like mm -hmm. simply like the the amount of bills that are being passed in conservative states just for all sorts of stuff it just shows kind of them laying down a pathway to future violence because you have to start with the legislation um mm -hmm. i i want to get amy's thoughts on this but i did want to just say one thing um when it comes to capitalism, I'm not like super opposed to just capitalism in general, but I think necessarily like late stage capitalism turns into fascism because you end up getting a small amount of people with the most amount of money who basically get a 
influence however they want. You have any yeah. th thoughts on that, Amy? Any of the stuff we've been saying? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I actually had more of a question for the two of you of, like, where, in your opinion, is the shift toward theocracy or authoritarianism coming from? Like, is it, are people afraid and... Mm looking for power yeah i don't know just wondering where you think that shift would be stemming from hmm. that that's a great question i've i've thought quite a bit about it and i think to come at it from a clear perspective specifically i think that um there has been so much progress progress yeah. for the broader queer community around the world in a lot of senses in the past several decades i think ever since the 60s um, Stonewall was kind of the very beginning of that here in the United States, and we've had a pretty continuous train of progress ever since. Uh, and it's happened very, very quickly as well, like mm -hmm. within the span of one generation. And so I think that there's a lot of cultural whiplash around that. Yeah. And it's been, not to say that it's been too much, because in my mind, I don't, I don't think it's been enough. I think we have a lot more progress to make. Um, but I think for a lot of people, especially more religious people around the world who have more traditional views, uh, it's been too much too fast. And I think that's part of what's led to the rise in authoritarianism. And I think part of it too has been the, the broader failure of capitalism because the US has been the uncontested uh, dominant force in the world since 1991. And the US is far from perfect. And so I think that people around the world are recognizing that and they're recognizing the issues that the US has and asking what are our alternatives to this and one alternative that's presented is authoritarianism and people go okay it's not the u.s it sounds good to me um, yeah that's I, that's kind of how i see it i think that was put perfectly and i just want to add a couple little things um i the whiplash thing is like a perfect analogy i i think that kind of naturally our politics we have conservatism and progressivism kind of counteracting each other naturally you know and usually it's a good little balance like the conservatives are like yo hold on like do we need to go that far while the progressives are like come on let's let's move humanity forward um so i i do think it's good to have kind of a nat natural check and balance but it has caused some a lot of reactionaries to pop up because I like Josh said, it was a lot and really fast. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, these are people's lives. Like, I mean, <laughs> these are like trans people's rights, gay people's rights. Like, I don't, I don't know. We kind of have to tell them to suck it sometimes. Um, but when, when it comes to the capitalism part, I think that's more what it is. I think the capitalists are using the culture war to their advantage because they saw their people getting more into unions again and all this stuff, like trying to take power back economically, and that's a threat to them. And so, yeah. That's, that's definitely a good point. I think like, a lot of the culture wars that we have today are, and a lot of people don't realize this, I think, is that they're rooted in economics. Um, that's that's not to say that the culture wars aren't important because like, we absolutely should fight for the lives of people who are marginalized and dis discriminated against and everything. But I think so much of it comes down to class at the end of the day. Um, mm -hmm. And that's where some of my more Marxist views come into play. Um, but the rich are definitely, the, the ultra, ultra rich are doing what they can to divide the lower class and keep us divided amongst ourselves so that we don't realize a lot of the problems are caused by the people at the very top. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny. Like if you look at an extreme leftist and extreme person on the right, they're like so close to seeing eye to eye because they're both anti-establishment. They're both like, well, big pharma or big tech or whatever it is. And so it's like, we're almost just there to unite as a full people against the like elite class, but the culture war is wedging us. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure.
I've had a lot of conversations with conservatives where, and at my particular job, we have quite a few conservatives who I talk to on a pretty frequent basis. And we see eye to eye on a lot of things, uh, much more so than I think uh, the, the media and broader society would want us to realize. We both want to have a better country. I think it's just that we have different ways of approaching it. Um, and so we have a lot of the same goals, ultimately. It's, it's very interesting. Absolutely. Well, we've we've kind of gone over time. Amy, I want you to wrap up your thoughts on that. I feel like I had a thought and then it vanished. Let me see if it comes back. <laughs> Sorry, me and me and Josh have been bullying this part of the conversation. I know. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry. It's I, fine. Don't even worry. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that even though the media doesn't portray it as such, there's a lot more common ground than there is, you know, things that people disagree upon. And I think even, even like hot button issues, if you look at the the base value that people are bringing to their debates, you know, like even if you look at abortion, for example, like people are trying to value life. Now how that like plays out or like which life or what laws should we have that, you know, gets very divisive. But if you like really get into it, both sides would say that they're trying to like care for people. Yeah. You know, and I think that, our media and the way that these conversations are approached prefer to skip over that and, you know, mm. make those gaps even, even broader. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like the reason I started talking to people in the first place is I just, I like was seeing dissension into chaos and I'm terrified that it's going to turn violent. And I, Maybe we can talk more about this at another time, Josh, because I know sometimes you think mm -hmm. violence can be um, a solution to certain things, but I'm I'm to, worried to about point. it. Yeah. Yeah, I would say to a point, because I think a really common phrase that I hear repeated on the left is just go vote. And I don't think voting is enough. Yeah. Uh, we need to do so much more than that. And I certainly would never advocate for anybody ever getting hurt that's that's the biggest thing that i that i want to communicate here is i don't want to see anybody hurt or anything like that um but i i look at the black lives matter protests in 2020 and think the burning down of a police station in minneapolis uh i i understand why it happened that, yeah. that's all i'm gonna say so violence yeah. towards more like property and and you could even say systems and institutions because trying to tear down certain structures within our society um, could fit into that. So, yeah, well, I don't want to hold you guys back. I know you said you were already hangry before we started. So, <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, I was just joking. Don't even worry. <laughs> Well, I super appreciated you guys. This has been a fun and interesting chat to have. So thank you a bunch. Thank you. Yeah. This has been great. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, guys. Take care.